Romans chapter 15, verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. But I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now in Christ's good name. Amen. If you would turn with me back to Romans chapter 1. I, uh, l- last week I sort of alluded to the, the reality that in Romans we're, we're beginning our sort of descent. And, and that picture's stuck with me all week about um, flying in a plane and that, that Romans has been this great flight over time. And so today I want to sort of uh, paint a picture through Romans as if we were on a flight. Now, who here likes flying? I'll be the first to raise my hand. Now, I don't want to call anybody else. Is there anybody who doesn't like flying? Okay, Ben's one. So I'll make fun of Ben. Ben will be my target all the time. You know, today, first service, it was Mike Westerlin. But I love flying. I, I, the, the farther, the better. Like if you end up like halfway around the world and you open up and nobody speaks your language, the words make no sense to you. They're just scribbles. There's smells and there's stuff. Oh, man, I get excited. I get real nervous like beforehand. But as soon as the journey begins, man, I'd love it. Um, the adventure, the excitement, the whole journey. I mean, even little flights. If it's just to San Francisco or to L. And I know nobody flies to L.A. No, nothing about L.A. is exciting about me. But, but where's the nearest like uh, Reno or yeah, San Francisco? I guess those are Phoenix. Anywhere outside of L.A. Um, I love it. And, and so today I want to look at Romans and, and, and kind of take some of the pictures of a flight and show how it, it, it fits with Romans. Now, the first thing that happens when you go on a trip, you get to the airport. Eventually, uh, they allow everybody to board the plane. So you're like elbowing everybody, getting in there, fighting for the overhead cabin space. You get everything in there. You get to your seat. Everybody finally starts taking their seats. Um, you, you can tell that, that stuff's getting serious. Things are happening because they shut the cabin door. And the, the flight attendants begin going through, making sure that, that things are shut down, saying, turn off your cell phone. I can say, well, I guess that's okay now. But they used to tell you, shut that off. You can't do that anymore. And getting everybody situated. Then eventually... Um, the captain sometimes or somebody gets on and said, okay, we, uh, we're going to be pulling out here or we're taxiing and, and uh, we're two or three on the list to take off. Uh, thanks for flying us. We know you have a choice and we really appreciate your business. So this time of like getting into the plane is really the first seven verses of Romans. Uh, Paul writes, we see um, by the very first word, Paul. There's a whole lot of verses there. Those six verses in between, Paul kind of explains who he is, uh, his background, his title, uh, who he is, an apostle. And it it takes us all the way down to verse 7 to get to the point of the people that he's writing. And so if we were to summarize the first seven verses, it would be simply 
uh, Paul is writing, and it's to the believers who are in Rome. And verse 8, I think, is sort of when the captain, as you're taxiing, he gives you all the stats and says, you know, hey, we're about to pull up. We're next for takeoff. Uh, we're going to get up to our cruising altitude of 35,000 feet. We'll be, it's a three-hour flight. We'll be landing in wherever. The temperature of so-and-so is this. This is, the, this is the local time there. He gives you all the sort of the facts, and then he clicks off, and then you, you go. And verse 8 is sort of uh, Paul's first sort of address to the people that he's writing. And he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed through the whole world. He, he, he kind of gives them an attaboy. We'll see in the next few verses from 9 through 13 that Paul's never met these people. He's only heard about them. No apostle started the church in Rome. These people were likely at Pentecost, Jewish believers on their, their pilgrimage. And then Pentecost happens. They come to accept Christ as the Messiah. Then they make their way back to Rome. So there wasn't really an attachment to the early church fathers. And so he says, you know what? I've heard. I've never met you guys, but I've heard about the whole world is hearing of your faith. And he says, I, I really am longing to get there. I'd love to meet you in person. I'd love to be encouraged by your story. I'd love to encourage and teach you. And, and he sort of alludes that what he wants to do is to, to ultimately get to Spain. He doesn't say it in the first part, but he, he kind of primes the pump that hey, I'd like to receive some fruit from you. That means money so that you can send me to Spain so that I could get the gospel to the, to the, the world that has never heard about Jesus. As we turn, well, I have to turn, verse 16 through 18. This is that point in the flight. Sometimes they don't even stop. Sometimes they stop. I kind of prefer when it, it feels like that the pilot starts hitting the engines and kind of skids around the corner and just start punches it, you know? Some of them like to stop and get their bearings, but I like the ones that whip the corner around and they're like, okay, here we go. They're, then it's like pedal to the metal. They put everything down and those engines, it's just like... You feel like the whole plane's going to like shake apart and you feel just the thrust. I love that part. It is so much fun. And my adrenaline starts pumping. And I think it's because normally when I fly in a plane for most of my life, I never landed in planes. I was always thrown out once we got up. And, okay, <laughs> green light, time to go. And so as the plane's going down the, the runway, bouncing and rumbling and you see the wings going, I get adrenaline. Even if I, I know I'm landing in this plane, I don't need to be prepared to jump out. Like I'm, I don't need to make peace with God. I'm good. I mean, we all should, we all should make peace with God. But it's like normally it's like I got to jump out of this thing. It's pitch black. And so still to this day, I mean, just thinking about it, I get like, man, my adrenaline starts flowing. As we get to takeoff, this is where Paul takes off. He hits it in verse 16 and he doesn't let up until chapter, really chapter 8. And so as we're climbing to altitude, the very first thing, this is literally as the plane lifts off, they, they pull up the wheels and now you're airborne, but you're just off the ground in that steep incline, just like you're in a spaceship shooting up to 35,000 feet. He doesn't start out slow. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, 
as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. He says, I am not ashamed. The gospel is the power of God. This stuff is, it's it's an important message. I'm going to give my life for it. The reason I'm so passionate to write you in Rome, the reason I want to get to you is to get the gospel out. And the reason he's so passionate is in verse 18, for the next few chapters, he's explaining the problem that we have. And he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. He says, the wrath of God is is real. And is present. And every human needs to deal with this truth. I thought God was love. He is love. Verse 17. The righteousness of God has been revealed. God is holy. He He is without sin. Without imperfection. And Paul begins making his case. Chapter 1. Chapter 2. Chapter 3. Verse 23 He lays out his case as an attorney would do legally from scripture. And he says, he concludes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As we're climbing up, Paul delivers this news that every human being from the fall of man to present day, our DNA has been changed. We are sinful. I remember the other week as we were, we were reading something, Grace, and I forget what it was. Oh, no, it was Billy Graham. We watched Billy Graham on TV, the, his last his sermon. And, and he said something like, all have born with sin. And Grace looks at me. She's like, no, Dad, how can that be? A baby's not born with sin. And I'm like, Grace, when you were a baby, do you know where you came from? She's like, where? I'm like, from mom and me. You're in bad trouble because both of us are sinners. All you got sin contributing to your being in the world. And she's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And now I think about my brother. Yeah, I can see it. You know, like I can... <laughs> She didn't say that. That was me. That was me kind of. a. But we all when, when Adam sinned, his DNA was changed and he has nothing but sin to pass on. And, and this is our problem. Paul, in order to present the good news, the gospel, we need to understand the bad news. There, there's no need for a savior if we're not destitute without him. And so if we go back to chapter 3, verse 21, he begins to shift. And a ray of light comes from this bad news. And he says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God, there that, that phrase is again, has been manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through works, through religion, through being a good person, through having more good than bad. That's not what he says. He says, faith, faith in Jesus Christ, that Christ being God came to earth, that he went to the cross as the Messiah and he made the sacrifice for you and me. And it's faith in him. It's not about doing a bunch of good. You can't do any good. You have nothing to offer. But through faith in Jesus Christ, for all of those who believe there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified, a beautiful word. What is justification? This is God declaring the sinner to be justified before him. It doesn't mean that you've never sinned. It doesn't mean that now that you're in Christ, that you will not sin anymore or that you will never sin again. 
it means that even though you are a sinner and you'll continue to sin, that through faith in Christ, God has declared you justified before him. Look what he says as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, who God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Propitiation is such an important word. It's like, what is that? I learned it in seminary. Took me like 12 years to say it right. It's like, what is that? Propitiation. And And it simply means satisfied. And the question is, what's satisfied? We go back to Romans chapter one, the problem for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. We are sinners. We are in dire straits. We are, we have a situation on our hand because his wrath is coming at us. Ah, but he said his son, his son went to the cross. Jesus had no sin to die for. He took our penalty. And as the wrath of God was poured out upon him, God's wrath is now satisfied. And so in him, there's safety and security. Faith is introduced in Christ in this section. Paul being a, a, a Jewish man, and not just a Jewish man, a Pharisee. He, he, he was on the fast track of Judaism to be the leader of the Sanhedrin. He was steeped in religion and laws. The yoke of the teaching of Gamaliel and all his leaders that he thought that the way you earned favor with God, the way you made peace with God is through obey the law to the best that you can. And so when he introduces faith and grace, he needs to address this to his Jewish brethren. And so the best thing that he can do is introduce Abraham. And so here, Abraham, the leader of the Jews the father, the grandfather, the one they look to. And he shows them that this idea of faith and grace is nothing new. And we, in Christianity, we make the mistake of of thinking that the Old Testament, God dealt with people in a certain way, that it was a religion, that you did certain things and you were good with God, but Ah, that just wasn't working. So then he sent Jesus. And, and now that Jesus came, now it's by grace. It's totally, it's, it's like we have in our minds that God in heaven said, you know what, all that stuff I wrote in the Old Testament, I think I made a mistake. This, this isn't working right. They, uh, I actually need to, let's scrap the plan. Let's write a new plan, the New Testament. And we'll start fresh. We'll make it easier for them. That's not at all what happened. And Paul shows from the Old Testament that God's plan has always been the same, that we as humans have distorted his plan. And so he goes to Abraham. And if we turn to the end of chapter 4, as he examines the life of Abraham, we come to verse 22. And in verse 22, we read, therefore it. Now it, this is an important word. Because in context, what's the it? The it is the righteousness of God. And so he says, therefore, the righteousness of God was also credited to him, speaking of Abraham, as righteousness. And this word credited is a, is a, is a very important word. I, I got a note from Ben Fredericks, who's in Bible college at Moody Bible Institute right now. That tickled me. I tell these stories. Sometimes I like tell them because I think they're funny and I hope they apply, but sometimes there's a stretch to the application. And so Ben's like, hey, Gunner, I got to tell you, I've just been like cracking up all day long. I was in a theology class and the teacher's trying to explain 
what is what the, the theological term for imputing something, which is what this is, credited. And he's like, man, all I could do is think of your story. He's like, I've been cracking up all day. And he's like, thanks for telling that story because now I get it. I don't want to leave you guys hanging. Let me tell the story. So I've already established that I love traveling. I mean, I uh, going places, I struggle with fear and anxiety before, but as soon as it's like I'm heading to the airport, it's like excitement sort of takes over. And I, um, I, don't, I don't want to go into the psychology of me. It's too scary place, but I, I don't know why it is. It just is. And so my credit card was compromised a few years ago. And I, I, I'm really good about going through and like just checking like, oh, what, what's pending? And all of a sudden I see like there's like a $2,000 charge on a credit card. So I start going, man, what? Did I spend $2,000 and not remember it? That's not like me. But then it was like, look like a travel company. I'm like, am I going on a trip? Maybe I'm going on a trip. I don't, certainly my, I'm not losing my mind this rapidly. Maybe I am. Like maybe I purchased a ticket. So finally I call the bank. I say, you know, I, I'm struggling with this charge. I, 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 I don't think I made it. Well, she's like, you don't think you made it? I'm like, well, I, I really, I don't remember making it. Can you give me some background on it? And she's like, well, it's from this, uh, from this um, travel agent company, and it's a flight from one European company to another European company. Did you do that? I'm like, I don't think so. And she's like laughing. I'm like, no, 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 I, I did it. I have no plans to. Year. I'm like, but I want to go. Is there any way I could get those tickets? And she's like, no, 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 no. It's like done. It's. And I'm like, no. Then my card's been compromised. She's like, okay, we'll credit the money back. She she refunded the money. Few weeks goes by, and I'm I'm checking uh, the credit card thing again, and I see another two thousand dollars get deposited in my account, and I was like, sweet. And I could see that it was from the travel agent company had also reimbursed the money. And so then I called the travel, I, well, I called the bank and I say, you know what? I, I was looking at my bank account and I see that $2,200 was deposited to my card. And I'm like, oh, that's strange. You know what's going on? I'm like, well, yeah, because my card was compromised. You guys reimbursed it. Now they reimbursed it. And she's, I can hear the lady. She's kind of, hmm, what am I going to, who do I transfer? Like she's kind of thinking through. I'm like, I really don't want to trouble you. So if it's bother, if it's going to be a hassle, just leave it. I can, I can work out the balancing out of the, 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 the credit to my account. She didn't find that that funny. She's like, no, we're going to transfer you, and it's gonna, they took the money away. That was imputing or crediting something to my account that I didn't deserve. And, and in the situation, the, why I tell the story is, if, you're a, a, if you've trusted in Christ through faith, your account of righteousness has been credited, a righteousness that's not your own. We actually have God's righteousness credited into our account. And the good news about this is he's never going to take it away, even though we don't deserve it. And this is what he says. Therefore, it was also credited to him. It was deposited into his account. Not that he worked for it, not that he earned it. It was credited to him through his faith. God said, Abraham, I want you to do this. Abraham said, sure, Lord, I'll do it. God said, it's reckoned to him as righteousness. And verse 24, but for our sake, to whom it was credited, those who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Beautiful. Paul transitions as we're climbing to altitude, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, as a result of 
showing that it's always been by faith, never by works. And he says in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, not works, faith, Jesus paid it all. He didn't cover 80%, and it's just up to you to cover the 20%. You bring nothing to the table. Jesus paid for your sin in full. It's credited to your account by faith. And for those who have trusted in Christ, we have this. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with. Don't read we have the peace of God. There's a huge distinction in that. Now, sure, you should have the peace of God. But what it says is you, you, we have peace with God. See, God's wrath was due us. Before Christ, his wrath was still coming against you. But now that you've trusted in Christ, you have peace. You're no longer at war with God. He goes on to say, now that you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction or access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I love that, that grace, I've always viewed it as something that's given to me. But this is, I think, a noun, if my, if my English is correct. You're always in trouble if I'm giving English lessons. But he's standing, that, that we stand in grace. You're saved by grace, but then you live in grace, and you, your whole world is in grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And so Paul, all of chapter 5, still climbing to altitude, explains the position that we have in christ this justification it's beautiful if we go all the way to the end of chapter 5 look at what he says at verse 20 the law came in so that the transgression would increase but where sin increased grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, you know what, guys? When you were born, you were owned by sin. You were enslaved to it. It was your master. But now that you've been justified by Christ, your pink slip got transferred over. You stand in grace. I think this takes a lifetime for us. This idea of grace blows my mind. We live in, in an economy of works, and I do this for you, you do this for me. I pay you, you give. There's a, there's a certain spiritual maturity to receive help. I'm good. I love helping people. But when it comes time for me being helped, I don't, I don't like it. It's hard just to, to receive without owing anything back. And Paul, at this point, understands the group that he's writing. In the beginning, he said that to the, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Now, the situation in Rome, I want to refresh your memory. Uh, there's a group of Jewish people that are, that are in Jerusalem. Pentecost happens. They come to know Christ as Savior. They eventually make their way all the way back to, to Italy and in Rome, and a church is formed. The, the, the Jewish believers began to flourish and grow. They trusted in Christ. They began to reach out to their Jewish brothers and sisters and mothers and grandmas and grandpas who don't know Jesus as the Messiah. So they start sharing 
the Messiah and the truth with them. There was great tension amongst this category of people. Claudius, who was the ruler at the time, was fed up with this, this, this tension in these two groups and felt like the order of his city was unraveling. And so to deal with it, what he did is he kicked all of the Jewish people, both believers and non-believers, out of Rome. And as they were kicked out, there were still Gentile believers who had come to faith through these Jewish brothers and sisters. They were able to stay. The church then was able to grow and to flourish. And the, the Gentile church really began to, I mean, it dominated because there were no Jews living there. Now, Claudius was eventually poisoned and killed and Nero came and he took over. He didn't enforce the same policy. So the Jews were able to come back to Rome. And so now you have this church that's mainly now Gentiles. And there was a smaller population of Jewish believers. And Paul knew that for the person who's come to faith in Christ, there's always this this tendency that once you receive Christ as Savior, there's the fear that you slip back into your old nature. And to the Jew, slipping back to your old nature would look like one thing. To the Gentile, because they have a different background, they had a different uh, uh, growing up, different things were taught to them, they, they would slip back into another area. And I believe that Romans chapter 6 and 7 sort of deal with these. And chapter 6 is helping the Gentile who's come to faith in Christ not to lose ground, not to go back to your old nature. I believe that Paul was dealing with a guy like me. Because in verse 20 of chapter 5, he says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Like super grace. And so then in Romans chapter 6, 1, the guy like me starts going, hey, the, the, the guy that the teacher never liked because of my questions. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Makes perfect sense to me. Wait a minute. So you're saying... That where sin increases, there's no sin that God's grace can't overcome. God being a gracious God, that's, he's pretty good. But now, if I keep sinning, and, and let's just take it to the limit, every time I sin, that requires God's grace to increase, ultimately making God out to be a better, more gracious God. So some respect, the more I sin, I'm, help, I'm doing God a favor by exposing his grace to the world. And look what Paul says, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? He says, don't go back to your flesh. You're no longer under sin's domain. You've been set free. You're, you're under Christ. You're, you're free to live righteously, righteously. As we get down to about verse 12, he begins to shift from the, from the Gentile to the Jew. Now, the Jewish person who was to slip back to their old life, they weren't raised in paganism and just enjoying the flesh. What they were raised under was the law and religion and rules and do this and do that. And so their departure from grace would be to to slip back under the law, which sort of said, well, if I do these things and act very religious, then God loves me more. And so. Look at this. It says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body as you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead 
and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. You are not under law, but under grace. What shall, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? So to the, to the Jewish person that's hearing all of this, like, wait, you're just free under grace and you could just, freedom? Are you saying that you could just do whatever? And he said, so since we're under grace, does that mean we're just free from the law? Is the law bad? And he starts making this case of, of you're free from the law. You're not under the law, but under grace. And Paul identified with this, for in this section, the first six verses of Romans chapter 7, he begins making this case. Don't slip back under the law. Verses 7, it it, it cracks me up because verses 7 through 25 of of Romans chapter 7, I'm kind of saying it all backwards, dumbfounds scholars, Bible teachers. There's people, certainly Paul can't say that he was like, struggling with this presently like he's the apostle he's writing bible certainly he's attained it's all in the present active indicative and i think paul is saying my my tendency i am a pharisee i studied under gamaliel i was one of the leaders if you read his account in philippians he says according to the law before christ he thought he was blameless and so his tendency as he departs from grace is to, to submit himself under the law and it's just, Great struggle for him. And he says, don't do this. And chapter 8 is the time in the flight. You blast all the way up. You can hear everything. Your seat's inclined. Then all of a sudden it feels like you're floating. And you kind of come out of your seat. Ooh, the plane must be leveling out. And then if you don't like flying, it sounds like the engine shut off. Oh, no, they quit. <laughs> We're going to die. They didn't quit. They're now cruising altitude. They don't. Sorry, Ben. It's okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> forgot to make fun of you earlier. So I was like, I like, um, so they, they tone back the engines. They hit their cruising altitude. They're like at 35,000 feet blasting away like 800 miles an hour. It's negative 35 degrees. I love the international flights when you can watch the little plane over the world. And it's like, this is awesome. And so, so as they hit cruising altitude, how do we, as people who have trusted in Christ, how do we live out this justified life? We're, we're under grace. We're not under the law. How, how does it manifest itself? How do we do this? And Romans chapter 8 is just this awesome chapter. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not condemned. He paid it all. He, he paid for your salvation. You're not going to lose your salvation based on works. You're in him. And all of chapter 8 is walking with him, trusting the spirit, allowing the spirit to guide you. By the very end, these powerful words starting in verse 37. But in all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Powerful, wonderful. Yeah, everything must have been going great for these guys. They're, they're, they're overwhelmingly conquerors. What was the situation? Life was not easy for the believers that are in Rome. 
Nero was a wicked, evil man. We go to a sporting event today at night. How do they, they use big lights to shine everything up. And that day, if you went to the arena in Rome to see the gladiators or chariot races or something, do you know how they lighted the, the stadiums? They would take Christians while alive, stick them on a post, light them on fire. These people that Paul was writing to would die horrific deaths. And yet he says, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Nothing can separate us. He's talking about our relationship with Christ. This, this life is perishing. There are not many promises in this life other than if you know Jesus, this life, if you have a lot or little, everything is found in Christ. But as he says this, Paul, this Jewish man, he hits some turbulence. There's some sc- I, I grew up flying. My dad was a pilot. I have, I have some good ones, but I'm going to start with a, 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 a civilian flight. I'll never forget the date. It was significant. In uh, January of 2007, I think it was the last time the Chargers were in a playoff game. And uh, I, I say that because the Chargers were in the playoff game. Like we were at the airport and I was about to start this doctoral part, uh, program in Kansas City. And it's like this in San Diego, sunny, hot. We just had our horrific storm pass through. Did you guys fall asleep through? I mean, it got, I mean, it got down to like 68 guys. It was, <laughs> and I woke up and the ground had like moisture on it. It was terrible. It was one of those days. And so then I hear in Kansas City, they have stuff. I don't even know what they call it. It's like sleet or ice rain. Like, and they shut down the whole airport. And so I'm at... I, I'm at San Diego airport going, man, my flight's supposed to come. And, but I'm like, this is going to be bad. It's supposed to be my first class and I'm going to miss it. And I, like the guy from San Diego is blaming on weather. What are they going to do? They're going to drop me out of the program and I, woe is me. But then I got watching the news. It was bad. Then all of a sudden over the announcement, they're like, hey, we think we got a small window, this flight, such and such. We're going to launch you guys. We think that by the time you get there, there'll be a small window open and we think we can land. I don't think I like this. It sounds like, and I don't get scared on planes, but this was like, this was really bad. And it was one of the most terrifying flights of my life. The whole flight over there, we're like bouncing around. I could barely hold my, my, my cranberry apple juice. That's what I drink when I fly. I'm like having to chase the cup around. I'm like, this is not good. And the pilot kept reassuring us, it's going to be okay. We, we really think that there's a window where all, no flight planes have landed. We're going to be the first one to see if we can negotiate. I'm like, you are crazy. And I think he was enjoying it. Like, I, it was, there was humor in his voice. I prayed fervently. They're not afraid of a little turbulence. And Paul, as he gets into chapter 9, 10, and 11, there's some turbulence. And, and, and so Romans 9, 10, and 11, the, the, what, the, what is the turbulence? Well, I explain these two groups between the, 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 the Gentiles and the, the Jewish believers. As the Jewish people were struggling, as history has always shown them, to, to like, it's a miracle that Israel exists today with the, with the history of what's gone on. And, and it was no different back then. So here you have this remnant of believing Jews in Rome. This thought of replacement theology began to creep in where they thought, well, certainly God must be 
done with Israel. All of the promises that we see in the Old Testament, this this must apply to the, to us now. It, it just makes sense. I don't think that they were being like mean. It's just you're looking at the world, you look at the Jews, and you look what's going on. When Israel was taken captivity, 786 and 586, there was no Israel as a nation until 1944, 7, 6. I was 7 before I was born. I, and I always get it mixed up because the Dead Sea Scrolls, but now it's killing me. See, you guys are all 48, I think. 48, 48. I got it in my back, but I want you But But regardless, there's 2,000 years where Israel doesn't exist. They're scattered. They've been taken into captivity. And as Paul writes this, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He is a Pharisee. He is a Jew. He loves Israel. And many people, and, I, and I'm okay with it because I'm kind of one of them. I have it in my Bible. That chapter 9 deals with Israel's past. Chapter 10, Israel's present. Chapter 11, Israel's future. But I think these three chapters are all about God. Because he just made this promise that in Christ we can trust God. Nothing can separate us. Even into death, we can trust him based on his word and what Jesus did on the cross. But God made a whole lot of promises to Israel. And if he's not fulfilling his side of the bargain, then, then the issue at stake is look at verse 6 of chapter 9. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. And so Paul says, well, if God has finished, he's done, he's not upholding what he said to Israel, then the issue is God's integrity and his character. And how can we trust him for anything if, he's, if he'll flip his mind? And so in chapter 9, he goes into showing that God is God, we are not. And he chooses and he selects. He's sovereign. He reigns over all. And while we can look at a situation, namely Israel, it doesn't make sense. We know that God's in control. You flip the page, you go to chapter 10. Israel has been known for being stubborn people. And I say that with love, like they exist because they're stubborn. We should be stubborn for what we believe. And Paul says in verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. And he goes on that even this present day, what they need is their Messiah for salvation. It's in Christ alone. And by the time we get to chapter 11, dealing with this turbulence, look what he says. Verse 1, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people who he foreknew. Tying in with Romans 8, 29, the same linkage there. We may not understand what God is presently doing with Israel. We know what he's done in the past leading up. We know that, that Jews knew Jesus because he's their Messiah. And then we come, he resolves this in chapter 11. And chapter 12, we come to the best time of the flight. Do you know what the best time of the flight is? A bunch of you guys. Amen. I like Debbie. Snacks, that's a short flight. It's mealtime. Mealtime's the best. On those international flights, you get two meals. You get dinner and breakfast. And I love it. People complain about airplane food, but I love it. You're there, wedge shut, your elbows in because you're, you're kind of locked in with the two people next to you. And they start announcing, okay, for, for dinner tonight, we're going to have, there's going to be the, the steak option or whatever. The, there's the, always the meat option. And then there's the non-meat option. 
And you're always like, hey, what are you going with? Let me see what does it look like. Trying to see the people that are ordering what. I always go with the meat option. And you're there. You got your food. It comes in a little tray. And you get your cranberry. Now they give you the can. And you get the whole drink. I have my cranberry apple juice. I set it up in the corner. And I start like undoing all my wrappers. Trying to not get my trash all over in the people's thing. And it's like, oh, this is so much fun. It's a free meal. You'd think I'm in a five-star restaurant eating my meal. Comes with a dessert. And then once you're done eating, they bring the coffee cart and you get coffee. They take your, it's, oh, it's awesome. Then you get breakfast the next morning. Then as you continue on, the best part. And so we get to chapter 12. It's the best part. This is meal time. This is the time in our flight where Paul's laid out all of this doctrine, all of this truth with the sinner that's been saved by grace and is now justified by before God. How we're to live out our lives. How do we handle sin that we struggle with? What about Israel? And now we come here and he's like, this is the so what? And in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. I think um, you could translate this reasonable which is your reasonable service of worship, that it's reasonable that you worship God with your lives. He paid it all. We don't serve him and and walk with him and, and live out our faith in obedience because we're trying to earn our salvation. It's because he paid it all. We're allowed to. We're his children. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is Good, acceptable, and perfect. And so from here, all through chapter 12, all through chapter 13, he begins explaining, okay, now you're a Christian. Now you have the spirit within you. You're you're living your life. But then you got to deal with people in the church. You got to deal with people outside of the church. You got to deal with the government. How does it all work out? And Paul lays it out. How are we as Christians to go about our world? It's beautiful. So practical, so convicting. Then he gets to, to verse 8 and he says, Owe nothing to anyone except love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And he, till the end of chapter 13, reemphasizes our command to love one another. Back to our flight. We've hit cruising altitude. We're eating our meal. get a little turbulence what pilots don't like at all thunderclouds as a kid flying in a small plane with my dad thunderclouds those big pretty ones they're like you know they look like they're 20 stories high pilots will do anything to avoid them because if you fly into them you essentially become like you enter a washing machine and this is how a lot of plane crashes happen so they will do whatever I'll never forget that flight to Kansas City. We're getting close. We're like an hour out. He comes on. I'm like, maybe he's going to give us a charger update, but he didn't give us a charger. He had more important things on his mind. Charger's lost, but it's it's really good that he wasn't giving us updates. And he says, hey, the the reports are out there that there's some really bad thunderclouds. So we're going to do a couple things. We're going to try to change our course. And uh, we're going to to try to go up or down. We're going to do whatever, because there's some pretty serious thunderclouds that are dangerous. And and I'm pretty sure you guys don't want to die. He didn't say that, but that's what I was interpreting it. 
It's like, it's going to add a little bit of time to our flight. So we're going to do what we can. It's like, if you get us there alive, I don't care if you add 45 minutes, whatever you got to do, that's fine. And so in Romans chapter 14 and 15, there's a thundercloud that Paul wants to navigate around. The issue, he, as these Christians, these, these multiple groups, the Jews and the Gentiles living together, there's issues. There's convictions that are in the word of eating meat that's been offered to idols, not eating meat. They landed different, but neither one of these. And we've spent the last few weeks here, but Paul basically says, listen, if you have the freedom to eat meat, but you're with a fellow believer who's deeply convicted against it, Give up your freedom. Let your freedom go for the sake of loving your brother. And if you are convicted uh, that you shouldn't eat meat, and you're, don't go judging your brother who has the freedom to eat meat. And it's putting others first. And where we ended last week was verse 13. You're like, oh man, this has been a lot of time, and he hasn't even started yet. This is, it's okay. I'm, trust me, it's okay. Verse 13 really is is sort of the benediction of the heart of Romans. And Paul says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. There's a number of verses, but from here on out, it's Paul is landing the plane. Right now, the the flaps are going down. When you change the flaps, it makes the, the... the flight so it can go slower and still create uh, still can uh, can slow down but still will maintain its flight changes the shape of the wing then they put down the wheels then they do all the stuff then they eventually land and you pull up to the gate so the first one in verse 14 he's been talking to the romans this whole time and in verse 14 now he shifts what we're going to look at today is he talks ab- about them i'll get to it but then we get to verse 17 And he says, therefore, I in Christ have found reason for boasting. He begins talking about himself. He gives his travel plans. He lays out his itinerary. I'm hoping to get to you. I've been been discouraged every time that I try to go there. I've not been able to get there. I, I want to get to Spain, he mentions a couple times. Then in verse 30, uh, the last three verses there, he, he says, now I urge you, brethren, he's going to ask for their prayers because he's dealing with stuff. And then in verse 16, I'm going to get a volunteer to read that section for me when we come to it, because there's a bunch of weird names. Androdicus, Junus, Urbanus, Apelles, Herodian, Tiferina, Hard Ones, Hard Ones, all. There's like a, I think it's like 25 names listed in that section, these greetings. All of these people in that list are believers that Paul is loosely connected with that are in Rome. And so he says, hey, can you tell all these people? That I said hello. He's, he's trying to connect himself with the church in Rome. Then in verse 17, he gives a hard warning to them. Now, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions. He's going he's gonna to give them some firm warnings. Then in chapter 21, we see Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So Paul, as he writes from Corinth, there's a handful of people with them. And he says, all of these guys with me, my sort of entourage, they all say hello to all those people that we said. And then in verse 25, this is the plane hits the ground. We finally made it to our destination. At the very end, there's the amen. You can unbuckle your seatbelts. You can stand up and you can make it to the exit. And he says, now to him who is able to establish you according to my, it's beautiful benediction. 
But back to verse 14. Today's text. If you're visiting today, we normally go for three hours every Sunday. (laughs) There's really not that much here. But there's a lot here. And he says, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself am convinced. Paul gets personal. And he starts thinking about them. If we were to go back to chapter 1, verse 18, I'm not going to do it all over again. But he starts this letter with, I thank my God for you, through Jesus Christ, for all of you, because it's your, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. And here he gives him another attaboy. He's going to mention three things. He says, when I think about you, I'm convinced on these three things. He's going to talk about goodness, knowledge, and, and their ability to, to correct one another. It's beautiful. The first one, full of goodness. That word full is, is an overflowing with goodness. He's already made the case that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we as humans bear the image of God. And as followers of Christ, we can reflect him. Starting to redeem back in Genesis that we were created in his image. And he sees that their love, their charity, their compassion for one another. They're filled with it. And he's showing them how thankful he is for them and and how it works itself out. And as I've been studying these verses this week, the the only thing that I can continually kind of comes to mind is how thankful I am for all of you. Seriously, like this, I I have friends in the ministry and when they get around each other, they start complaining about struggles they have in their church. And and I don't even really identify like I love you guys. Like there's too many people and too many things to point out, but but there's so much that happens around this church that things are taken care of and not even the stuff at the church. Like I'm thankful for the worship team. I'm thankful for the Sunday school to see my kids like with their Sunday school teacher. It just blesses me to see people greeting one another. But, But the thing that really gets me is that when difficult trials come to our church and to see how you all love one another and care for one another. There, there aren't words. And, and it blows me away. I see Pat, like I, I remember she had heart surgery. What was it, like two days ago or something? Like a year ago, but it was a couple months ago. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go visit Pat in the hospital. And, and, and you have to check in on that floor at the desk, but you also, there's the first floor where you check in. And I said, oh, I'm a pastor. I normally just kind of like walk through as a pastor. It's like, I'm going where I'm going. I don't ask for permission. They kind of stop me. Where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to this room. They're like, you're going to that room? There's been people all day long. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's our church. You know, <laughs> kind of like that way. I get up there and I walk in. I'm like, I'm the pastor. And you're like, yo, you must be for that room. I'm like, yep. And they get in there. Pat can't even talk because <laughs> she's been hanging out with people all day long. And it is awesome. And it's not just Pat. It's uh, with Lynn Miller, I think, you know, L and all of these things that have happened over the course of my my time here. I, it's beautiful. You guys are filled with goodness. And I'm so thankful to be here as to be the pastor here. He said you're filled with all knowledge. Romans is. Some have labeled Romans as as the Christian constitution. That it lays out. The truth of Christianity so clearly, so succinctly, you would think that he was writing to people who don't know anything about the faith. But the reality is, they knew the word of God. Paul says it here, you're filled with knowledge. They knew the scriptures. 
And Paul's writing to introduce himself to them. And he's laying out his doctrine to validate the the future partnership with them. Do you guys know how long I talk every week? A lot. Everybody's like, amen. (laughs) There are not many churches where the pastor teaches for 45 minutes to an hour every Sunday. And I'm thankful that this is a church where the teaching of the word of God is encouraged. We want you to grow. I want you to grow. There's going to be a push to get into the Bible this year, next year. But I want to encourage you to grow. Then he says, and are able to admonish. That word able is dunamis, power. And I I would really say that it's you're equipped to admonish, to care for one another. In the Navy, we used to have a term in the SEAL teams, especially as an instructor, when kids were going through, they'd make it through how weak and they get it. I'd, I'd say, hey. You guys police yourselves. You, you're big boys now. You don't want me playing mama and come correcting stuff. Because if I have to do that, you're going to get in trouble. Like it's not going to be pleasant. So it's better just to, you're all mature enough now. You can handle business on your own. But if you make a mistake, I'll be there. But that's another story. Paul says, you guys are mature in the faith. You can handle correcting one another. You have love, goodness, charity. You have a knowledge of the word of God. You know how to handle selves. This is a huge compliment. We, we need to be able to do this. I have an older sister. She's, she's like 17 years older than me. And, and, and I, I'm trying to get my frustration out. I deployed around the world a couple times. And I go home to go visit the family. And, and I need to fuel up my car. And she's like, are you sure you know how to do that? Like, are you kidding me? I'm an a, I'm a Navy SEAL for crying out loud. I know how to gas. I know how to fill up my gas tank. She's like, you better grab your sweater. It's cold outside. You might get sick. And it's like, but see, I was just a little baby for her. We, we need people in our lives to tell us theologically to put on our sweaters. This isn't judging. This is, I care for you. You're going down a road. And it's never fun. But there are times when you say, put on your sweater because you're, you're going to get a cold if you don't put on your sweater. But translate it to theolo- theological things. Stop doing that. You're going against the word of God. You're going to hurt yourself. And Paul, when he says this, he thinks, oh, man, I've said some stuff to you guys already. Look at verse 15. But I've written you very boldly on some points. I, amen to that, Paul. So as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles ministering as a priest to the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Whatever church you go to, you don't want a hireling. You want a pastor that has the courage to stand and to correct and to tell you the truth in love, even when it's hard. And Paul's saying, I wrote you hardly because God has commissioned me as this minister. And I, it's not fun or pleasant, but I love you so much, and so I'm going to do it. And that's why I've done this. So with this, we're out of time. The conclusion is simply like, guys, I, I am so thankful for your walk with the Lord. Keep going strong. Father, I do thank you and praise you for this word. I thank you for this great letter of Romans. Father, I pray for each person here, Lord, that um, we each would come to know you uh, more closely, Lord. There may be people here who don't know Jesus as Savior. And so, Father, I pray that you would help them to connect the dots so that they would understand the gospel. 
that Jesus died for them, that he paid the penalty for the sin, and it's simply trusting in Christ for salvation. We thank you that it's so simple. Father, we pray that as we live out our lives, we ask that you would help us, Lord, to live in a way that's pleasing to you, that we would honor you. Father, we pray that um, we would continue growing, that we would never grow stagnant in our relationship with you. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.